0: I have not been practicing my Spanish. So at the time, I was very confident, but now I'm
1: not so confident.
0: Thanks for joining the Escape with Me Book Club. Escape with me, Sam Reiner.
1: And me, James Reiner.
0: Into our most recent read. Come with us as we evade reality and go into detail about a new book. We'll be covering the book from beginning to end, so there will be spoilers. Today we're going to the Mexican countryside circa the 1950s. Published in June 2020, Mexican Gothic is one of the author's many ventures into new subgenres of speculative fiction. Having already published books in fantasy and having edited several anthologies of post-apocalyptic, and zombie fiction. This was her first stab at gothic horror novel, and with her new gothic horror being published in July 2022, it's a good time to revisit this novel and see how well she did. So background for this is I saw this book on Twitter, and I was like, hey, I want to read that book. And then I read the book and I put it on your shelf on the little pile of books.
1: Which I still have two books on. <laughs>
0: yes. The little pile of you should totally read this.
1: <laughs> I know. I really need to get to the other two books too. But I got to Mexican Gothic though. <laughs> and so
0: here we are.
1: Here we are. I finally read it. Sorry, babe. It's all good.
0: So age level. This is an adult book.
1: Yes, it is definitely an adult. It has... Uh...
0: Oh, don't worry. I have my paragraph.
1: I was about to say Hey, how's You're better at listing the trigger warnings than I am.
0: Oh my gosh, yes. Okay, and just so you know, I say it at the beginning, but the content warnings themselves give huge spoilers. So, if you don't want spoilers, don't be here. Go read the book and then come back. It's fine. But mental illness, emotional abuse, gaslighting, nudity, death, graphic violence, sex. It doesn't happen, but if you don't like graphic descriptions of that type, it's close enough. Language, sexual assault, death, incest, suicide, kidnapping, forced pregnancy, slash childbirth.
1: So yeah, definitely not for the kiddos. No, no,
0: no. Yeah, it's not adult like, oh, that's the generic age level for all books.
1: It deals with more serious themes. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, for some adults, it might be too adult.
1: Which is appropriate for the gothic novel. I mean, the gothic deals with some pretty serious stuff sometimes.
0: Yeah, so judge a book by its cover. I always thought it gave off Rebecca vibes. And I know you haven't read that book.
1: I have not.
0: But it's also kind of a gothic horror. And from the description that I read, because it was, oh, she goes to see her cousin and then she gets trapped in the world of these people, which is kind of what happens to Rebecca. And so I was like, oh, okay. I didn't really know much about the genre as a whole going in. But now I know a lot more about gothic horrors.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I remember you talking to me about it as you were reading it. And I recall your opinion and response to the book changed. As you went along, <laughs>
0: yes. What is kind of the point?
1: It started with, I really like this. It gives you a real sense of what 1950s Mexico feels like at the beginning. And then eventually you're like, what defines a cult? <laughs> Some of your questions. It sounds like things took a turn. <laughs> <laughs>
0: now thinking about some of the questions I asked from your
1: perspective. (laughs) Yes. You know, I told you this when I finished it, but it does take a very strong turn because I'd say, I don't know if it's exactly half, but about the first half you're feeling, okay, this is pretty normal, pretty realistic. But creepy. Creepy, but it's grounded in reality. It's dealing with things that people experience in real life, in-laws and awkward situations. And
0: eugenics.
1: Well, not eugenics, but racism. I mean, that's something people face every day. Discrimination or misunderstanding or clash between the classes, clash between one's cultural background, it's all pretty normal to start off with. And then about halfway through, it takes a real sci-fi turn, a real fantasy, dark.
0: What is a cult?
1: What is a cult? <laughs> but not even just what is a cult, what is the bounds of science? We're really going to stretch your suspension of disbelief.
0: The answer is just to burn all mushrooms ever. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but I guess if I would put it more technical terms, it starts off with a pretty realistic, hard fact-based story. And then takes more of a soft science fiction turn where it's expecting you to kind of believe a few things that you wouldn't necessarily believe if you were told this in the real world.
0: But I think it does a good job of it.
1: It does. It's not something that you want to put the book down when it does turn. It, it's just uh, definitely very shocking.
0: Yeah, it's not so, oh, I can't believe this happened. It's more so, oh, this is where we're going. This is real.
1: Yes. I mean, I don't know why we're being cryptic. We could say. That's true. The whole time you just think the Doyle family is just really weird, really uptight, really right. Ra- racist. Really creepy. Really creepy. Like really creepy. But just creepy like and white people be crazy kind of way, or white people be upstuck kind of way. And then suddenly she's taken to the room of Howard Doyle.
0: Ooh, that scene. Ah.
1: Yes. Taken to the room of Howard Doyle, and suddenly it takes a real turn where he apparently found this mushroom that gives him eternal life, and he has incest babies and continues this big family. That eventually he chooses one of the male heirs and inhabits their body through the mushrooms, and it starts going real on the more fantasy, deep, dark, I guess you could say mysticism side of gothic.
0: Yeah. And you find out he's so interested in eugenics because it's like, oh, got to keep the bloodline pure, which is such a wasp thing. But he's realizing, oh, wait, incest caused genetic issues.
1: Eugenics is also such a 19th century thing. Well, technically 18th century, but it really hit its stride in the first half of the 19th century. And eugenics was very popular at that time. So it really is. She's melding something into her gothic novel that kind of underlines many gothic novels. I mean, right now I'm reading through Frankenstein and there's subtle little hints of eugenics, like the good characters are always pretty and white and have blue eyes and just the fairest creatures and anyone not good is dark or ugly or is too large or has all these features that would be looked at in 19th century as primitive, aka eugenics styles.
0: Which is bad. Which
1: is bad. We fought a whole
0: war about it.
1: I guess. I mean, I don't know if that really solved eugenics. No,
0: it did not. But we did fight a war about it.
1: In a way, yes. I mean, eugenics was more around before the Nazis came along. They just kind of leaped on it.
0: They made it not popular.
1: They made people realize how terrible it really is at the root. The majority of people. Because, I mean, eugenics was something that many, many countries in Europe and a few other places subscribed to. They just believed it. They didn't see any harm in it. And then they saw the Nazis and it kind of made everyone rethink eugenics. It's
0: like, oh, wait, this could
1: be a problem. This could be a problem. Of course, there were people before World War II that said it was a problem. It just went into the mainstream.
0: The whole Darwinism thing. Yeah,
1: a misunderstanding of Darwinism.
0: Well, why are we talking about eugenics? Let's talk about gothic horror.
1: Yes, let's talk about gothic horror.
0: So you're more qualified to speak about this than I am, Mr. Professor. But what is a gothic horror? And how does it different from a normal horror?
1: So what many say is the first gothic horror book is the Castle of O'Toronto. I think I'm saying that right. I'm terrible at Italian. And it's a novel by a British politician, actually. He was more politician, because back in the 18th century, writers were a combination of many things. scientist, politician, rich person that just had a lot of time on his hands. But his name was Horace Walpole. And many consider this the first gothic novel. But what makes a gothic basically is that there was this period in the late 18th century, definitely in the early 19th century, where there was this just fascination with medieval times and with the old castles and places that these medieval people had left behind. And a lot of people in Europe, especially the upper class, would live in these old, old castles. And the history in these castles was so present to these people that it was infecting their minds all around them, everywhere they went and all the art they saw, the structure of the building. Many people describe it as haunting them, that they were haunted by these old buildings. And that's actually where we get the word Gothic from. Gothic is actually from the word goth, and a lot of these buildings in like Italy were claimed to be built by the Goths who had invaded there long ago. So that's where we got the term Gothic actually is from the style of architecture of these old medieval castles. And the reason we got Goth is because Horace Walpole actually sets his novel, The Castle of Otranto, in medieval Italy. And it spread all over Europe, just this idea of Italy being this place where lots of history is and it's just so present that it feels like it haunts you, basically. So what makes uh, Gothic horror interesting, it's, it's all about how the past haunts you, if I had to simplify it. It's about how the past around you, it's something you can't escape. It's something that influences every bit of your life that's around you. And it's there before you're even born. It's just going to haunt every aspect of your life.
0: So I have an interesting thought exercise for you.
1: Okay. Do
0: you think gothic horror is making a comeback?
1: Oh, huh.
0: because obviously we have some classics, Jane Eyre, Rebecca, but I feel like with the popularity of Mexican Gothic and her new book is the daughter of Dr. Monroe. But there's also Ghost Bride and a lot of rewritings of the classics. Like there was one called The Wife Upstairs, which was a retelling of Jane Eyre. And I've just seen a lot more of it. And I don't know if it's because I've become more conscious of it or if it's becoming popular again.
1: I would say maybe it is getting noticed more, but I would have to argue as well that the gothic never really went away. I mean, it's such a staple now. It'd be like, I don't know, asking if romantic, novels or making a comeback or historical fiction. I mean, it's something that's always going to be there. It's just so popular and exists so much in people's pop culture now that I think it's just going to be a constant. Maybe it'll go up and down in popularity, but I feel like it'll never actually go away personally. I would have to say, though, and I feel like I'm not very familiar with it, but I feel as in all aspects of literature right now, there's being more room made, more acceptance, more appreciation. I'm not finding the right word for it. Basically, giving the due it deserves of more minority groups and their influence on the genre. I mean, this is a Latinx, I guess, is the political correct? I'll go with Latina since the main character is female, but a more Latina Gothic expression.
0: Because it is Mexico.
1: It is Mexico. You're getting a version of the Gothic from that perspective. So I would say that there's more of an appreciation for that now that's growing.
0: Yeah, and you can see that in Ghost Bride as well, which takes place in Malaysia.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And it follows Malaysian customs about what a Ghost Bride is. And how that can be terrifying.
1: So, I guess a better term was that there's a revitalization. Gothic never really went away, but now we're finding these amazing new ways of expressing it. Which all
0: for more diversity. Yes,
1: exactly. And, and Gothic is such a boundary tester, it's always been to test the bounds of art. When it came out, it's shocking. It is horror. It's a place that anyone who feels maybe marginalized or feels othered, it's a place where they can express that feeling of alienization and be able to wrap their minds around it and express any trauma or thoughts or discussions on it. Again, this isn't my expertise, though. I'm not very good at talking about it. <laughs> uh, th- um, sure. I'm not. I really am. I'm, I'm learning more about I mean, I'm more sci-fi, but the author, Brian Aldiss, a British author, says that the Gothic actually gave birth to the science fiction genre, so.
0: You gotta appreciate the mother.
1: Exactly, exactly. Because the Gothic basically questions what happens to our humanity when it encounters the what-if, if you were to simplify his definition.
0: Which is what science fiction's all about, is the what-if.
1: Which is what science fiction's all about, but it's also in the Gothic. I mean, what does the main character, Naomi, go through when she's presented? We find at the beginning of the novel, she's this rich young lady. She's very popular. She's a socialite. She's a socialite. Uh, all the guys want to be with her, and, and she doesn't really have real problems. She has some stuff, like her father doesn't want her to go get a real education. He wants her to just be a house mom, which she hates, which is a good thing to buck against, but it's not like real intense problems. At least she doesn't realize until she goes to the Doyle house and then runs into real family abuse, real family trauma, real messed up stuff. And the novel ends that way with realizing this trauma that they experience is never going to go away. It's it's always going to be with them.
0: Yeah, because even the fight she's having with her dad, it's not so much, oh, you shouldn't get A education it's more like the dad's like, I am tired of you switching majors. I don't think college is for her. And she's like, no, really. I want to get a master's.
1: Yeah, but to go back to Brian Aldiss's definition of how the gothic and the sci-fi ask the question, what happens to our humanity in the what if? It's basically what happens to Naomi's humanity when she's put through such a test as experiencing the Doyle family and their haunted, haunted past.
0: Yeah, I love the contrast of the character that she is because she could be really annoying. It could have been really easy for the author to make her just a stuck-up, rich witch and make her annoying, but she doesn't. There's something kind of lovable about Naomi on how sure she is of herself and how she knows what she wants and she goes for it and she knows what life is about. She'll play the games, but she's just really smart. Anyway, I found that I actually really liked her, but it was so interesting seeing this bright, vivacious, intelligent woman be put into this gray atmosphere and watch it slowly suck her life essence away.
1: Yeah, to give kudos to the author, she 100% knows what she's doing, because when Naomi's in Mexico City, her more negative traits are shown, how she's a socialite and a bit stuck up and a bit petty with...
0: We'll date a guy because he looks cute, but we'll dump him.
1: <laughs> yeah, but then when you, again, like you were saying, thrust her into the Doyles, then you get more of her positive qualities, how she's an intelligent woman, she's cold cult- She won't stand for being put down by Virgil, Catalina's terrible, terrible husband.
0: And she has this innate sense of justice, and she will not let the Doyles bully her and not let her take care of her cousin. She's like, No, I'm here to take care of my cousin. I don't care what you say, I'm taking care of my cousin.
1: Which she definitely tries to do with tact. She tries to play off etiquette to get the Doyles to bend her will. Which the first half is smart if we were in reality, but once the curtains revealed and there are a bunch of messed up incest mushroom infected weirdos then etiquette seemed like the stupid idea <laughs> but even then she's ready to tackle and take down this family though
0: yeah because it really does become oh let me see my cousin too oh my goodness how are we literally going to survive this and seeing her trying to do the balancing act of not pissing them off so much <laughs> that they kill her or lock her in yeah technically she's already kidnapped but like lock her in. Like it could be so much worse. It's like, okay, how do I keep some of my freedoms, but also make sure we get out of here? Where is the line here?
1: Are we going to give a summary? I always feel like we missed that.
0: Yeah, let's definitely talk about we've just talked about gothic horror.
1: Yeah, well, we were talking about gothic. And then that naturally, of course, led us to talk about examples from the book. But it probably helped our listeners if we gave a quick summary just in case they haven't read it, I guess, or if they have read it and need a reminder.
0: So Naomi is in Mexico City living it up with her boyfriend, Hugo, when her dad is like, hey, I've gotten this letter from your cousin. You know, the one you've been really close to and married that super weird guy. And now we're kind of like, what's happening? Well, she wrote a really disturbing letter and I want you to go visit her and make sure she's okay. And Naomi reads the letter and she's like, okay, this is creepy. And then of course, there's this whole, if you let me do this, can I go get a master's in sociology? And her dad is like, yes, if you can do this, we will do that. And So she's like, yes. And so originally, it's kind of selfish because she's a little bit doing it just to get her master's. But once she's there, it's all about her cousin. Once she realizes this is not safe.
1: Yeah, because she gets there. She's picked up by one of the Doyle family members, Francis, who's a really pale gentleman. He drives her to the house and she meets the family. And they're all very kind of weird, weird. Well, and again, it, on the surface, before you find the, the real fantasy mysticism twist, she just sees them on the surface for what they are, which is upstuck, they refuse to speak Spanish. They only speak English. So
0: let's explain about the Doyles a little bit. The Doyles are a British family that came from Britain and bought this mine in Mexico. And that's how they made all this money is silver mine. And there was a mysterious illness. And now the mine isn't working and they're not rich anymore. Anyway, in the beginning of the book really plays it off as cultural differences. The difference between a Latin America-Mexican family that you kind of get between Neumann or dad versus... A British family. And so you're kind of like, okay, yeah, they don't talk during meals. They're really stuck up. They really care about manners. Okay, maybe this is just a cultural thing.
1: And they're also kind of racist. Kind of.
0: Kind of in the beginning. It gets worse as we go along.
1: Well, I mean, not even kinda in the beginning. Definitely in the beginning. Yeah. Where The patriarch of the family, immediately all he wants to talk to her about at the first encounter with them is eugenics and genetics and breeding and why some people are superior to others.
0: And Noem has studied sociology so she's able to have a conversation about it but during their first conversation Howard Doyle ancient basically bald pale bright blue eyes, purple gums, porcelain teeth. Like, just ugh. Anyway, he's all for eugenics, and I like how Noemi does it, and she turns it back around, because they're in the middle of a conversation about, basically the patriarch is like, you people aren't as superior because you come from bad lands. And she turns it back around, and she's like, well, wouldn't that make us more superior because we're able to live in bad lands? Versus you, who has to have the nice?" plans to live. It was like, ah, yes, I like her. (laughs) She's really smart and unfortunately that means he takes a liking to her which is ugh. But it was a good example of how she's really intelligent and able to hold her own. I just really like her. Yeah,
1: she's a well-written character with lots of strong strengths but she also gives her flaws too which to me makes a really good well-rounded, written character.
0: Yeah, she's very hot-headed.
1: Yes, yes. And pride. I think a lot of pride leaks in because There's moments where she's like, should I go back to my father and get him to come back and do this? Or when Francis is warning her leave now when you go to town, just never come back where she could have gotten her father and it would have solved a lot of problems. Hopefully then.
0: Maybe, maybe not.
1: Maybe not. I don't know how the doors would react if her father showed up, but she was always like, no, I can't go back to him and admit I couldn't do it because then I can't get my degree. But also I'd look bad. So there was a lot of pride there, too. She kind of got herself into a lot of the situation where she stuck there because of her pride. Which I guess is the big twist in the story, which she finds out that Howard Doyle, the head of the family, is using this mysterious mushroom he found to prolong his life. And also he got this realization when he discovered this mushroom from some cult that if he interbred with his own sisters and continued a pure line in his words, he was able to transfer his consciousness into his descendants with the mushrooms. Ah, (laughs) <laughs> and Naomi, who's been at the house the whole time, has been affected with these mushrooms. And if she tries to leave, he uses the mushroom spores that are in her body to force her to not leave.
0: Yeah, there's one time that she actually does really, really, really try to escape. And she just basically passes out. She loses her life essence. That's the only way I can describe that scene.
1: <laughs> and more of the spores cause her to pass out. Yeah. I wouldn't know how to describe it. The book does well in describing it's at once complicated complicated and mysterious, but at the same time, understandable to the point where the reader isn't frustrated or confused. They could definitely follow along with it.
0: Well, the author's just so good at ambiance, which is very important for the genre, I have learned.
1: Mm-hmm, yes. yeah, Descriptions of places and of atmosphere is very important in a gothic, of course. Because
0: I feel like now that we're like, oh, let's do a summary. And so it's like, okay, we talked about the first part. She needs to go help her cousin. Then you're talking about the very end of the book where the twist is, and is like, that's basically it, plot wise. <laughs> there's a lot of little things that happen. I really like how the author uses dreams to make everything so much worse, especially in the beginning when we're like, oh, this is a real place. It's normal. It's fine. It's just weird. But she uses the dreams to make everything so
1: offsetting. Which is a common trope in Gothic. It's good. Yes. To use a dream to blend between reality and fantasy, how you can't tell the difference between reality and dream, basically. It's very common in Gothic. That's why ghost stories thrive so well in the Gothic or, you know, hauntings.
0: And a lot of the meat of the book is the mystery of what happened to the miners. Why did they all get mysteriously sick? Why is my cousin acting weird and sometimes being like help me escape and sometimes being like no, I want to stay here. Why do all the townspeople think the Doyles are cursed?
1: Yeah, Gothic blends not only the mystic and fantasy but also the mystery as well. It presents a lot of those questions. Why is there
0: an horrible forest literally everywhere, which is apparently the sign of this family because, you know, incest babies and eternal life and all that.
1: I I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I guess it is incestuous, the symbol. It's always meant eternal life. Yeah,
0: it's an alchemaic symbol to represent eternal life. Yes. But yeah.
1: But I never thought of it Yeah, it is a bit incestuous because it's a snake. Eating itself. Yeah, well, it's a snake basically giving birth to itself, too. It's both. Yes. Both eating, which is representing of the Doyles because not only does Howard the patriarch consume a baby which happens in the novel which is portrayed in a dream but also inhabits the baby so he becomes the baby.
0: Yeah so he births Virgil. Not him himself but you get the point. Because of him Virgil is born but also because of him Virgil will die so he can live on.
1: That's part of the twist too. It ends up being Francis but also there's moments where babies are just birthed to be consumed by the cult leaders which is graphic.
0: Love Lovely light reading. <laughs> In a lot of ways, there's not much to sit down and talk about, but it's also so much. (laughs) There's so much that happens. But also, if I was going to sit here and write an outline, not a lot. Because a lot of it plays to the ambiance and the dreamscape and just the first half of, oh my gosh, this is so weird. What is happening? And then the last half of, oh my gosh, is she going to get out of this alive? Because it is horror. So I did not know if it was going to happen. Some genres you're like, of course, romance. They end up together, but it's horror. So I don't know what happens at the end of the book. <laughs> and her and Francis. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I shipped it. I shipped it as soon as I met them, only because I read the front of the book and the flap was like, oh, and there's Francis who is helping her out, but also, is he involved in something worse? And I'm like, no, Francis. Francis is basically kind of resigned to what they are but he's also trying to get Noimei to not be there and not be a part of it but I don't know if he came right out the first time they met and it was like hey we're a mushroom cult if that would have worked but he's also not trying so so there's this whole romance thing going on and he's really into mushrooms because his family but he's also into them in like scientific way he has art and he's a redhead and I'm into redheads, so I ship it I did see a little bit of you in
1: Francis, if I'm totally honest. I could see it. He's a bit of an introvert.
0: But he's also really smart and has his passions and is the black sheep of the family.
1: And is sweet. Yeah, I could see that. (laughs)
0: Noi is much smarter and more princessy and vivacious than I am, but she also knows how to play piano and smoke, which are two things that I don't do. So not a good comparison, but I thought of you a little bit with Francis. And so every time he showed up, I was like, yes, let's escape together. And at the end, she gets him to escape and is so happy. And at the very, very end, there's the whole, but could he still be evil? And I'm like, no, I refuse to believe it. (laughs) They live happily ever after. But yeah, it's so much.
1: So you talked a little bit about Naomi and Francis's characters. Let's talk a little bit about the other characters, too.
0: Ugh, that means we have to talk about Virgil.
1: I know. So <laughs> go ahead. You expressed how much you love Francis, which is sweet. He's passionate. He clearly doesn't like his family, but he's resigned. And eventually he's able to break that mental and abusive hold they have on him and help Naomi defeat the Doyle family. But why do you hate Virgil so much?
0: Because he's a creep and no means no, sir.
1: Yes. Well, he He's manipulative, too. Even to the point, I got to give credit once again to the author. She's just so talented. You doubt yourself as you're reading, especially in the first half before the big twist, where there's certain moments where he kind of wins you over. Not completely. Nothing is excusable for the smug and condescending and rude things. Domineering. Domineering, manipulative. I know better than you, woman,
0: head pats.
1: <laughs> yeah, but there's moments where his manipulation's so good that you, for a second, buy it as a reader. Like, there was a few times i like, is this guy bad? Maybe he's misunderstood. There's moments where the author convinces you to doubt whether he's a bad guy, to wonder, is there good in him? Until eventually the twist and you realize, no, they're not good in him. He is completely taken in by the family's mentality. He's very misogynistic and domineering and power hungry. And I guess I'm not sure if there's a word where he looks at other people as peons and worms and he's better than everyone else. Narcissism. Narcissist, definitely. And he tries to use... Naomi. It's revealed at the very end what he hopes to overthrow Howard, who he sees as in the way as the patriarch of the family and become the new patriarch of the family. And he's attracted to Naomi and wants to actually get rid of Catalina to replace her with Naomi, which I think it's just asserts when Catalina is able to smash his face in (laughs) at the end.
0: Yeah, get it girl. See, you say that and I wonder if it's a male-female perspective. I was always wary of Virgil. He always made me nervous. I hated any time Naomi was in the room, and any time he would go into the, listen, I'm just trying, my wife is really sick. Even when those moments would happen, I'm like, okay, maybe he really thinks that, but I really want both of them away from him. There was never a moment where I was like, maybe he's a good guy.
1: Let me clarify, I'm not saying he's a good guy. I'm saying maybe there's a little good in him. You don't think he's pure evil.
0: I will say you don't realize the depth.
1: Don't ever think he's a Francis. No. You don't like him or think, oh, if only his family wasn't there, he'd be a great guy. You always think even if his family was there, he's not a very great guy. But you also think what part is his personality and what part is held down by his family. There's moments where you feel like, is it his family that's making him this way? Or is is it him as a person? And you find out by the end, it's more him as a person. Yeah. Because he just sees his family as something in the way that he needs to control. But I mean, I'm not saying even when I had those moments where I was wondering there was good within him, I always didn't really trust him. He he was just creepy.
0: Yeah, he's, uh, I don't know. There was just something off about him. And then when Naomi started having the dreams, maybe it's just because I expected it. She has dreams that essentially Virgil attempts to sexually assault her. And in the beginning, she's like, oh, they're just dreams. They're really creepy. But I don't know, man.
1: You learn. They're not just dreams.
0: And later on, you learn they're not dreams. (laughs) They are dreams, but they're not dreams.
1: Yeah, we should clarify this. The fungus that's in the house, it's not only just in the patriarch Howard and infects all the family, but it's spread throughout the house, through the grounds. It infects everything. It's in the walls. It's in the walls, and if you come to find out, it's actually one of Howard's sisters who he sacrificed to the fungus to give it a consciousness. It's sentient. It has a bit of a consciousness, and that's actually the climax is basically Naomi, Catalina, and Francis free the consciousness of the fungus, free this woman who's been abused and forced to become part of the fungus by Howard. But anyways, you come to find out because it has a consciousness, it it can absorb and keep dreams, but also absorbs and keeps the thoughts and emotions of the family members.
0: So the family can control it as well. And so they can put thoughts into it. And that's how they've been controlling her dreams. And it's creepy. And after this book, I just wanted to stab mushrooms.
1: They share their consciousness and their emotions and feelings. So what Naomi was experiencing was the sexual feelings Virgil is having for her. So basically since he thought about raping her, she was dreaming about being raped by him.
0: And it was creepy because the next day she would be like, why does it feel like he knows what's happening? He's like, because he knows what's happening. It's creepy. I hate him. Ugh. And at the end, you find out the whole thing about Howard and you're like, okay, I guess some sympathy for the devil being like, wow, Virgil's going to die because of Howard. And then Virgil just is like, nah, I'm going to be the new patriarch. And it's like, okay, back to you being complete evil. Returned. No sympathy. Burn it with fire. Which is what they do.
1: Yeah, it is true.
0: It is not just an expression in this case. It is true. And then there's Florence... There's a saying that most misogynists are men, but the most vehement misogynists are women. That's true for Florence. (laughs) She is essentially the backbone of the house, and she definitely feels like the puppeteer allowing whatever Howard wants to have happen, happen. And she's also the huge obstacle between... Naomi and her cousin. And so you already kind of hate her because she's being suspicious and weird and just super rude to her. And she's Francis's mother and so it sucks because the mother is like, Francis, you're not allowed to hang out with her anymore. And then Francis doesn't hang out with her for a little bit and it's sad and I hate it. She's that just no mother-in-law. Yeah,
1: I, granted, I didn't like her either, but I also thought there was a bit more depth because even Virgil mentions that both he and Florence tried to leave but being infected and abused by Howard they tended to come back regardless. So I think if you dig a little deeper, Florence goes out and finds someone and brings him back. And Francis talks about how his dad, you know, tried to reach out to the village, tried to live still a normal life, but eventually just killed himself.
0: Because of how terrible everything was.
1: And it's not directly said, but it could be that Florence took this such a hard turn bracement of the family because she felt like the rest of them, even Francis, that you couldn't escape. There's no escape. You can't get the spores out of your body. Again, And it goes back to the Gothic theme, you can't escape your past. A lot of what haunts in the Gothic is family the first gothic novel I mentioned, The the Castle of Toronto, is all about family and how you can't escape curses. How what your family does in the past is going to affect you now in the present and there's no escaping it no matter what you do. And, And that is true for this novel too. I mean, the Doyles, Florence, Virgil, Francis, they all deal with it in their own ways, but they're all haunted by what Howard has done to them. This legacy they can't get away from. And even in the end, you don't get a clear cut. Francis has cut the tie and he's completely clear. Even In the end, it's a bit of a tragic flawed end because Francis and Naomi don't know if he's truly escaped the spores, if he's escaped the curse that Howard has put on him. Now, that's a very true gothic ending where you don't know if there's a happy ending. If you ever truly escape The haunting. Which I am stubborn. You're stubborn? Happy ending. I am stubborn. It's happy for a gothic. It's happy for a gothic ending.
0: It is dubious. And so, yeah, I will say there is probably a really interesting case study of the three characters, Virgil, Florence, and Francis, how they each take what is happening and how they respond
1: to it. If I were to do a surface level one, Florence embraces it as if it's inevitable Virgil thinks I have to control it so I have to usurp him and control it myself and Francis tries to ignore it and make himself as small as he can so one is full embrace, one is usurping and one is avoiding which if you were to take more of a psychological approach it could be a good study on family trauma and how people react to that trauma and and, I mean if you take out the spores and stuff and just look at it as Howard being abusive to his family members and how each family member responds to that abuse that can be beneficial as well.
0: Yeah, not quite to the same level as this obviously, but that whole daddy knows best mentality where wife and children should just bow to their whims and how that can actually be very traumatic. Yes. When taken to a abusive extent. Yes. And there's also technically servants there, but they're not actual real people. That's interesting. They're not mushroom zombies, but mushroom zombies.
1: They literally are the original definition of zombie. They're infected with something that causes them to be 100% obedient if they had a will. They don't have a will. They're just subservient. And it's explained because they've been infected with fungus their whole life. They just never even experienced free will.
0: Yeah. And they have a family physician. I'm not sure where this dude lives because he has to come to the house. But he doesn't live in the village either. Anyway, he is also super creepy and okay, we haven't even touched on Ruth. There is a huge secret in the family to give another example of a way someone might potentially react to family trauma. Ruth is, think, Francis's cousin? Yeah, because it's Virgil's older sister. That's who Ruth is. That's why I make notes because otherwise I would never remember. But she was about to do the whole marriage thing again and on her wedding night, the way it's framed before you learn the secret and you're like, okay, fair. But it's framed like, oh, she went crazy and went on this complete murdering spree and just killed a bunch of people. I think it was her parents. And she tried to shoot Howard. And there's a couple of other people that she manages to kill her husband, she shoots, and then she shoots herself. And you come to find out it's because Ruth figures out what is going on and is like, No, I'm going to destroy this. But unfortunately, the shooting Howard managed to weaken him, but it didn't manage to kill him. And so that's kind of where they're at this crossroads with the family. It's like, oh, no, he's being weakened. We need to make sure the family stays alive. So maybe we should marry people outside of the family because we're also running out of people. So it's interesting. And there are two beings in Naomi's dreams that she keeps seeing. And one of them is Ruth. And then the other is a mysterious maiden that's made out of light.
1: Which you come to find out is the woman who was sacrificed to the mushrooms to give it consciousness.
0: In the very beginning.
1: It is one of the sister slash wives of Howard. The first wife. The first one. Supposedly. Because she always questions through the novel, why did he marry the second wife? Why did he marry
0: her sister? Yeah.
1: And also, why was there a statue of the first wife? And it was because they were honoring the fact that she was the consciousness of the fungus.
0: Yeah, because several times it's hinted at, it's like, oh, the mother of all. And Naomi's like, that's weird. She didn't have any kids. Why is it?
1: Because she's the mushrooms. Her dead body is entwined with the mushrooms and gives it its power. But yeah, I think that covers the characters pretty well. Is, ugh.
0: And then you find out, okay, so like I said, the mine where they got all of their money and whatever, the people were getting sick because of the mushrooms and the family were just like, sucks to suck and just lets them die.
1: Yeah, it's very symbolic. If you want to analyze it, it's right in post-colonial theory about how European upper class would not care about the lower class, let's face it, not minority groups but the native Mexicans and even though we're putting a mystic, fantasy, gothic horror spin on it, it's definitely reflecting the real life abuse that many Mexicans would experience under more upper class, European descended ruling families.
0: And there was a really interesting line I think that surmises a lot of things. At some point, Naomi's like wow this place is really gross and really dark and we should do things like clean and stuff and Florence is like no we can't this is how Howard wants the house we can't change the house she specifically says we exist At his pleasure. Yeah,
1: that's a good summary.
0: And that's basically everything. Because I wrote it down because I was like, oh, that's kind of creepy. But then I was rereading my notes and I was like, that is the summation of the whole mushroom cult as it currently exists. (laughs) It expresses all of the finality and the I've given up trying and the creepiness of it. It was just ew. But I did like to kind of talk more about how it does shift from the, oh, this seems realistic, like you could go and this could actually happen to you to the, okay, what (laughs) What is happening? There's mushroom cults and sentientness and incest baby eating thing. There is a point in the book (laughs) where the author is just straight up. It happens in a conversation that Naomi has to the physician and she has learned what has happened and they're like, oh, now you're stuck in the mushroom cult forever. And the doctor is explaining to her when she tried to escape and she passed out. He's like, oh, the house did that. It was prevented you from escaping. And Noomi was like, how can a house do that? And the physician's like, it can. That is all that matters. <laughs> and it felt like a little bit of the suspension of disbelief. Like the author being like, it doesn't matter, guys. Let's just go. Let's just say it happens. Let's keep going. Because it is such a turn. Like you said, it was very, I think you called it hard hard science fiction, and then it just dives
1: into soft science fiction. Yeah. And again, we're dealing with gothic. Gothic is different than science fiction pure, but I feel like the hard soft verses can be applied to gothic and fantasy and many other forms of speculative fiction. But basically hard science fiction can use actual plausible real world science or devices or theories where soft doesn't bog itself down and using actual science devices, theories, anything like that, because there's nothing in the real world that would completely say these spores could exist. You could stretch it a little bit and say, you know, oh, there's a fungus in the Amazon rainforest. Uh, I don't know. I'm not that familiar with fungi, but you could stretch it and say there's something kind of similar, but it's still a very good stretch. And because of that stretch, it's definitely soft. Where It's not so much saying this could happen, but it's saying you get the logic behind what I'm saying. And if you accept that logic, if you look at it and say, you know, even though it's something I've never heard before, it's setting out its own rules and it's following those rules – I'm going to believe them, even though I don't have a real world example to compare this to.
0: Yeah, so I just loved that dialogue exchange, because it just felt like it was her talking to the doctor, but I could also see how it's the reader talking to the author a little bit right there. (laughs) Be like, just go with it, guys. It's good. That's all that matters is the house can do it. And now we have to solve it. She's been having these dreams about an altar and a specific room, and she eventually finds that, oh, it's in this house. And so it's her her cousin and Francis and they're trying to run away and then they finally find this room and do they kill Howard or do they severely wound him? Something has happened to Howard. And so they're like, okay, we can do this. And so they're about to try to escape and then Virgil comes in and is like, ha ha! I am going to become the patriarch.
1: What happens is they realize this medicine that Naomi got for Catalina helps break and destroy the fungi in them and Virgil pretends like he's there to raise Naomi, but really he, later you find out, intentionally got defeated by her so she could drink the potion so that when she was brought before Howard, I kind of mix it up a little bit, but basically Catalina is able to snap out of the control Howard has over her and stabs Howard with a scalpel multiple times. Then they flee and Virgil confronts them.
0: Yeah. And Virgil shows up and they're like, okay, Virgil, you can help us escape. And then Virgil's like, no, I am secretly the other villain. I was like, dang it, I knew it. And like you said, it's so cool because it's Catalina that's the one that kills him or at least smacks him down. I think he zombie crawls like a, creep. Ugh. Anyway, Naomi moves a curtain and she sees the original wife. I don't remember if it's Abigail or the other one because they both had A names. What is with this family? Anyway, that's probably the point, but that's beside my point. Anyway, so she's like, oh my gosh, I know what we must do. We must burn it with fire. And so they light everything on fire and they escape. She passes out because smoke, inhalation, and mushroom poisoning, I guess is the best way to put that. She wakes up and she's in the town, local. Healer's house, and Francis is there. You're right. He does the well. I don't know if we'll ever actually be free of it, but she's like, "Well, we're gonna try," and so they're gonna move to Mexico City, and she's gonna get to study her masters, and Francis is gonna live his life, and Catalina's getting away from the family. I don't know she's going to do. I don't really say, but she's away from the family and that's the important thing. And I refuse to not give it a happy ending. So I'm going to say it's a happy ending. Yay! They did it. Just general thoughts about the book. There's a lot of gaslighting in the book. I feel like that's what the first half of the book is before we get into the super creepy. It is just Naomi going, this is super creepy. And the family going, no, it's not nothing creepy is happening here on repeat. (laughs) Because they're like, oh your dreams are weird. I don't know what's going on with that. And then Francis is constantly being like, oh no totally nothing is happening. (laughs) But I think it's really good. I don't normally like horror and you were actually really concerned when I was like, hey, I'm reading a horror book and you're like, wait, what? Because that's not normally my cup of tea. And then I was like, oh, it's like gothic horror. And you're like, okay, you might like this. And I think I actually do really like gothic horror.
1: Oh, well, I don't about that, babe. You need to read some other gothic.
0: Well, I've read Frankenstein and Rebecca and I'm working through The Ghost Bride right now.
1: Yeah, that's early gothic. You need some H.P. Lovecraft. True. Or some... uh, You've read Poe. Poe's pretty good gothic. True.
0: I don't know. I don't like the overly violent chainsaw massacre or jump scares.
1: That's not gothic. That's slasher.
0: Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Those types of horror.
1: Granted, gothic gave birth to slasher, but that's stuff from the 70s where that started.
0: Yeah, and so I don't like Friday the 13th or any of those, Chainsaw Massacre, Nightmare on Elm Street. None of those are my cup of tea, which I feel like is what most people think of when they think of horror. But there's something about, I think you called it forbidden knowledge of it, because it does blend mystery and horror so well, and so the entire book is just me like, I have to know what happens. I need to know about the creepy mushroom cult because it I can't leave any stone unturned. And so it's this really perfect, morbid curiosity mystery solving that I kind of like. And I should not read before bedtime. But I like it. It's like how you like to read post-apocalyptic books on the beach. Maybe I should just have my gothic novel in bright daylight in a nice place. <laughs> so mentally, I'm not
1: scarred for life.
0: So you've been studying gothic horror. What do you think? Do you think this is a worthy addition to everything you've read?
1: I do. I thought it was a great example of gothic. I was reading an article on gothic novels the other day. And it listed a whole bunch of stuff that makes a gothic novel. And I thought this... definitely checks off a lot of the marks.
0: So if we were going to do one question for the author, my question is I would really like to know more about her, I guess her genre muse? Because she does go from fantasy and she's, like I said, post-apocalyptic zombie fiction, and now she's doing gothic horrors. So I'd really like to know what has just drawn her to this genre. And she's very well equipped to do it, so you know she's done her research and thought it through. So I'm, I'm curious. Does she just love all things speculative fiction? I would like to know more about it.
1: Oh, i probably just ask her what different gothic novels inspired her or non-gothic because this feels like a book where she was inspired by possible things she read, possibly some classic gothic or why set it in the 1950s and not the turn of the century. Maybe she had some inspiration for that either through books or maybe there's some film she was inspired by, but it would be interesting to see what her muses were for the book.
0: Yeah, because I know one of them has to be H.G. Wells because her next book is literally the daughter of Dr. Monroe. Yeah. Sorry, we're almost getting through there. So yeah, it would be interesting to know what she was inspired by. Rating. I would give this visiting a haunted house out of 10. Literally that. <laughs> you go in there, you know you're going to get scared and then you get scared by a lot of things and then you get out. And then once you're out, you're like, that was great. <laughs> (laughs) you were in it. You were a little bit panicking the whole time. That was me.
1: I would give it one fungus painting out of 10 because it's a little bit like Francis's fungus paintings that he showed Naomi that when you say something like that, you're like, that sounds weird. Like, I wouldn't enjoy that. Because if you describe this book truthfully to someone, you're like, oh, it's about a racist old English family in 1950s Mexico that tries to infect this young lady with fungi.
0: Because incest.
1: Because incest and forcing her to marry into the gene pool.
0: and have babies
1: And have babies Just if you were straight out Trying to explain the novel it just sound like The worst novel If you said It's a picture of a fungus You'd be like That sounds weird But Naomi was pleasantly surprised By the fungus That Francis painted She actually found them Quite appealing And she was very touched At how much effort And passion he put into it And it's the same With this novel You can tell the author Put a real passion And art into it That even though It sounds absolutely crazy If you were to explain the plot The book just really works It's very entertaining And has a good mystery and it's compelling to read and you really are invested with these characters in the story despite it being off the rails. Because it doesn't start there. It <laughs> doesn't start there, yeah. It is a
0: slow burn. You are the lobster in the pot. <laughs> By the time you have figured it out, you were too deep. Yeah. But would you read it again? I would. Not now. But years down
1: the road. Well, I don't like that question because I don't know about me, but my question usually is would I suggest someone else to read it? Would I say, hey, you should read this book. I'm going to let you borrow it. And I would give a big yes on that. I would definitely suggest this book to other people.
0: See, that's funny, because I'm a little bit the opposite. Because I was telling everyone, it's like, oh, I'm gonna read this. And so a lot of my friends will read it just because I'm reading it. And I had to go back and be like, okay, <laughs> so <laughs> this book goes to some really messed up places. I don't know if you're there mentally. <laughs> so it's kind of the opposite for me. I would take a very specific reader that I knew was re- you. I gave this book to you. <laughs> I was like, you can take it, put it on shelf.
1: I-, I gotta be honest until you said, hey, this isn't for children, and here's Some trigger warnings. I was like, yeah, yeah, I guess that's some trigger. And then you start listening. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess this book is pretty messed up. I didn't even consider that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm just very empathetic and conscious of that stuff.
1: Yeah, no, I'm so numb because of all the stinking stuff I have to read that I'm pretty desensitized to most things. I'm like, yeah, of course, incest. Let's do this. (laughs) Of course, murdering babies. Okay, that's, yeah, it's an occult. So, you know.
0: Is it a cult though? Because that's the whole conversation we had is like, is this a cult? Is this not a cult?
1: Start started as a cult, just because it's just the family now doesn't mean it doesn't have a cult origins.
0: That's what I was asking, because it's just family members now. Is it still a cult?
1: I would say it's an occult, O-C-C-U-L-T, which has similar etymology as cult, of course, but it's dealing with the mystic dark arts, you could say, so... Definitely a cult, a cult, O-C-C-U-L-T, not A space C-U-L-T.
0: Because that was the whole conversation we had. It was like me describing and it. it's like, well, it's this. But there used to be members, but they killed all of them. And now it's just these four family members. This is still a cult. Sort of. Maybe. Thank you for exploring Mexican Gothic with us. I'm Sam Reiner.
1: And I'm James Reiner.
0: And we hope to see you and a friend here next time. Escape With Me Book Club is a Lunar Skulk production. Check us out on TikTok or Instagram to keep up to date with us. Lunar underscore S-K-U-L-K.